The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. And I am Jay. On this week's episode of Film Jitsu, Jason had to watch Hardcore Henry, a movie that I legitimately did not know what it was about until just before we pressed record. But it seemed so insufferable, I had to give it to Jay for this week's episode. So before we dive in, let's go ahead and roll the trailer. Henry, they want your technology. How do you like the new you? It's alright, I'm here to help you. Is your speech module installed? But at least we know you're not deaf. Okay, well the good news is that you're gonna live a while. The bad news is there's an army standing between you and your wife. So let's go get her. Jason, even the trailer must be exhausting for this movie. I'm going to be honest. Before we started recording, just a few minutes ago, I had to look at the synopsis for this movie because I actually didn't know what it was about. Because the plot wasn't the point. The whole thing with this movie is this first-person perspective that even just in little bits was exhausting to me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, I have to give this to Jason so that I never have to watch it. And hopefully so that he absolutely freaks out and yells at me about what a slog this kind of thing is coming in at an hour and 36 minutes mm-hmm. coming in from director Ilya Nyshuler, hardcore Henry. Yeah. Uh, was this as kinetically exhausting, nonstop <laughs> obnoxious as it seemed to me? I think a lot of people find it that way. I found it that way. I let's, say that this took me three or four i can't remember it might have been four separate sittings to get through <laughs> um the first time i think i made it through 10 minutes the second time i made it through another 10 minutes the third time i made it through 20 minutes and then the fourth time i was acclimated enough that i made it through what whatever the math, whatever the remainder of that math is in another 30 minutes or whatever it was. That's Um, exactly what I was hoping for. I get that. I'm kind of uh, shocked that you just threw it at me based on the first person premise alone. That's a pretty weird thing to have done. Uh, There's a lot to take in with this movie, which is why it's so exhausting. The first person piece of it probably is the hardest thing so you you waged a bet and the bet worked out for you what you didn't probably expect is that i actually liked each sitting well enough Mm. i actually think that this is a fun movie it's just an endurance test in many respects and it's not because it's a bad movie per se i don't feel that it is it has like a 50% Rotten Tomatoes fresh rating. 
Uh, the reviews are pretty mixed. It did make a good chunk of change at the box office, considering that it only cost, apparently through like Indiegogo money, it, it cost something like $2 million, which oh wow, honestly is a little bit hilarious because there's over 260 visual effects artists that mm. worked on this movie. So it's kind of an astounding feat when it you look at it from a cinematic and filmmaking standpoint. I was really hoping to hear that from you because one of the things that we look to do when we make these episodes is we like to sling each other bad movies, but mm -hmm. we want it to be a lot more than just this was terrible. Oh, this was awful. Yeah. And, right. I, and this movie seemed so singular and so unique it, out of all the theatrical films that you're used to seeing. This looks so much like a video game to me that mm. the fact that a film like this got made and got released and is so unique visually I was hoping we'd have a lot to talk about in terms of maybe the film is exhausting, but creating a film like this is a pretty interesting thing to have accomplished. And even at a first glance, it looks very competently done that way. Yeah. And so yeah. I wanted to balance this conversation between the exhaustive visual kinetic experience and then maybe the other side, which is okay, sure. But, like, how impressive was it that they were able to do this at all? Yeah, it is impressive. You know, apparently they used um, some sort of manufactured GoPro helmet so that they could do these first person things. And then it's funny, the cinematography is actually credited to something like seven or ten different people that are also stuntmen. Mm. And in fact, two stuntmen had neck problems due to trying to perform these stunts while wearing this helmet there didn't seem to be a, an appropriately credited director of photography so i'm kind of looking at Ilya neishuler himself and what he brought to the table which is astounding when you look at it this is a scripted piece that's all written for first person and then shot from a first person perspective as far as plot goes it's about henry whose eyes we see everything through he is awakened by his wife, Estelle, in a lab. She's a scientist, evidently. It is revealed that he had died and is now a mute cyborg. So I had no idea. Just no idea. Before you get much more than that, the lab is attacked by this maniacal, psychokinetic big bad named, I think it was Akan. I think that's how you say it. He wants to create an army of Henrys for some kind of domination or another i don't know and then the they escaped this attack it, it was revealed that the lab was on a blimp and then henry and estelle <laughs> crash to earth where she dies and he is relentlessly pursued and then occasionally he is helped along the way by jimmy the true inventor of the tech that brought back henry but jimmy just keeps dying over and over again and then he reappears in different forms like he has different haircuts all of them played by the absolutely insane and scenery-chewing Charlotte Copley, who you'll know from District 9 as the lead right. character from District 9. This guy is so fun in this movie. He is having such a goddamn ball playing Jimmy in all his different forms. That central mystery about Jimmy and how he keeps dying and yet keeps reappearing... Pretty compelling, pretty interesting. The central idea around why Henry was even 
brought back to life and what he is exactly, while it's never really totally solved, it's a compelling narrative thrust to keep you going through the action. Is it enough? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> the movie is just simply too exhausting. It is too difficult to watch this level of intense action no matter how well choreographed it is, and it is incredibly well-directed, startlingly well-choreographed, especially for something that cost as little as it did, apparently. The visual effects are decent. You know, this the action scenes are inventive. There's all these different types of gun battles that happen, like whether it's on a city street, one's on a bus, you know, there's a car chase, you're on a motorcycle, and then you flip off a motorcycle, land on top of a car. At one point, I think you jump into a tank and kill a dude. There's so much murder in this. There's <laughs> so much murder and gore and effects, and it's it's just so much, Mike. It's just so much. Well, and I don't know if you even caught yourself just doing it, but something really interesting was just happening as you were explaining it to me is you were speaking in the first person. You said you were yes, riding a you, motorcycle, then you were yes. doing this. And and I think it's really interesting that even sort of uh, casually talking about the movie, that's where your headspace is, is mm -hmm. that you, have you are in this role as Henry, mm -hmm. which obviously that's what they're trying to go for, for this first person. To find out this movie had anything to do with psychokinetic warlords yes. oh, is yeah. mind-boggling to me. I had no idea. He's like this corporate big bad that is a... Ru Everybody's Russian. Like the, I, the, Ilya Nyshuler is from Russia. Right. And so a lot of the production team, the, the visual effects, all these names, I couldn't pronounce any of them, I don't think. Yeah. The big bad is, you know, this almost Alexander Gudinov type looking dude. Wow. You know, with these with these crazy eyes. And uh -huh. He's not particularly great as far as acting goes. In fact, the acting in general is meh until Copley shows up. And then you feel like you're in good hands. He's there to really carry the movie. And it really, that's what he does. And Tim Roth is in this thing as well, right? Eh, that was. Yeah, not really. No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Tim Roth is in at the very beginning. He calls him like a pussy or something like that. Henry. Oh. I don't know. There was some sort of backstory. I'm not sure what it meant. Uncalled it was like, for. Yeah, I don't really. I'm not even sure what it's all about. I think Tim Roth did one hour. Okay, all on right. this movie. I think that, that that's all they got it at the beginning and the end, and that was it. It was part of what intrigued me, because knowing how gimmicky the whole thing appeared, mm -hmm. the fact that it had Copley and, and Tim Roth in the credits mm -hmm. told me at least something about the sort of level of talent that might be involved with a project mm -hmm. like this, even though yeah. knowing that it was a Russian production and I knew that it was going to be full of Russian stuntmen and I wouldn't know a whole lot about that. <laughs> uh, but I was interested at least by seeing those headliners in, in the film. Yeah. Well, that's why they're there. I mean, it, that's right, right, yeah. right. But they at least signed on for the project, which gave it some level of legitimacy, I guess. Yeah. And so uh, Copley is an interesting guy because he was a guy that really came onto the scene in a big way mm -hmm. in district nine and then much like director Neil Blomkamp has really struggled yeah. to grab a foothold since then, despite, yeah. I, and I think it's true of Blomkamp as well, despite being a talented guy. I think he does a little bit better than Blomkamp does. You know, mm -hmm. I think he gets out there and 
he plays in major films. I think the last credit that I saw from him was that Idris Elba film Beast with, with yes, the killer the, lion thing the, there. It's the like Jaws, movie? but with a lion or whatever uh-huh. it was. Yeah. Possible future episode. Yeah, could be. I mean, I'd be down. But, you know, I, I really like this guy. I like his charisma. I like his confidence in the way that he portrays all of these incarnations of jimmy you know it's a lot of fun to watch him do this Mm. and i think the film in general is a lot of fun when you can keep up with it this is not a movie to put on at 11 o'clock at night (laughs) when you're already feeling the day's weight on you this is probably a good saturday morning matinee flick or like a saturday evening i'm home alone in the man cave flick Or a movie that maybe you watch with a buddy. Like you and I could sit down on a couch with some root beer and the Code Man and watch Hardcore Henry, right? Mm -hmm. That would be the kind of thing that you and I would do. Code Man, by the way, is my old cat, (laughs) in case you didn't know. In joke, you're in on it now, people. So, you know, I think that this, this movie, I have to really talk a little bit about my... I don't know how to say it. I guess admiration for Ilya Nyshuler because he was a guest on a podcast that I really love called The Movies That Made Me. Okay, yeah. Which is from the Trailers From Hell website Mm -hmm. that's run by Joe Dante. Joe Dante sort of quote unquote co-hosts this show with Josh Olson who's a screenwriter who doesn't have a hell of a lot of credits, but he's a he's an amiable enough host and has a pretty expansive movie knowledge. Dante, of course, director of Gremlins, uh, director of Explorers, which I love. He doesn't. Piranha. Um, and, of course, your, your beloved The Burbs, mm-hmm. amongst many, many other films. Those two... It's funny, Josh Olson pretty much is the captain of the ship there with Dante every once in a while kind of chiming in with something nice schuler go i'm sorry was that they have what you call a successful movie podcast is that right i've heard about these i've heard that there's something like that out there we certainly wouldn't know anything about <laughs> no that. no of course but, not. but nice schuler comes on there to talk about his 2021 film that starred bob odenkirk called nobody nobody that is a great movie by the way really fun if Hardcore Henry is too much for people with its first-person action and its relentlessness, nobody really slows it down, although it's just as viscerally impactful. <laughs> it is a violent movie, and it has some terrific action in it. But there's lots of other stretches that show Nyshuler knows well enough how to slow down. It, it's the gimmick of Hardcore Henry that makes it difficult. Anyway. Right. He's on this podcast. He's talking about growing up in Russia and how he got to making films. And this guy is so effusive with love for film and filmmaking, so passionate, so excited that Joe Dante, who's usually pretty jaded and pretty quiet, Mm -hmm. was similarly joyous. And you could hear it in his voice, how engaged he was by this young filmmaker who made this fantastic two action movies. In Joe Dante's estimation, both of them were really good, both Nobody and Hardcore Henry. Hearing Joe Dante kind of come back to life 
(laughs) was really, really, really exciting. And so I went into Hardcore Henry interested. I had seen Nobody already. I was interested in Hardcore Henry as I wanted to see it. And I wanted it to succeed. So I my my viewing is sort of colored by it. Did I make That's it great. through it in one viewing? No, I didn't. <laughs> Do I think necessarily that I could? Unsure. But I got to tell you, when I sat there and watched it, I thought of a couple things. The first is, back in 1995, okay, a little bit of film history here, co-writer, producer James Cameron and his then wife, Catherine Bigelow uncorked this gritty, violent, over-sexualized, dystopian, near-future action thriller that was called Strange Days. It's starring Ray Fine after his breakout role in Schindler's List, but before that nearly career-ending performance as John Steed in your beloved The Avengers. Right. <laughs> Strange Days imagined a world obsessed with these squid recordings of people's memories yeah and whether it's an afternoon out roller skating on venice beach or an adrenaline fueled rooftop chase that ends the death of the squid recorder these recordings allowed people that are jacked in to replay events and experience them as if they are happening real time with the same sights sounds and feelings as the squid wearer right so as a result, there's plenty of sexy moments that would be on this black market where they trade this stuff. You betcha. Yeah. <laughs> and there are a lot of these recordings where the person recording died, resulting in what they call blackjack playback, which is essentially like kind of like a first-person snuff film. So it's like a fascinating concepts. Gross. It's all this preamble, just to talk about the opening segment of Strange Days, took roughly two years to develop and finally shoot and pull off in a seamless, seemingly seamless first person chase sequence, that aforementioned rooftop chase Mm. that ends with somebody dying for it to appear realistic. All this effort and all this planning had to go into it 30 years later in 2015, here comes hardcore Henry. We've got these tiny little cameras that they're able to use lots of visual effects houses and whatever they were able to do 96 minutes instead of just what five minutes that took Mm -hmm. two years to basically make Mm -hmm. 96 minutes he says that he was in pre-production everything for about three years on this thing in some strange days in 1995 cost 30 million dollars to make so what? What's that? Sixty million dollars in twenty twenty dollars? Like what is that? You know, it's a ton of money. Sixty <laughs> million, probably. It's an absolute shit ton of money. And then, Hardcore Henry allegedly cost two million. Whoa! In twenty fifteen dollars. So right. what is you know? I mean, it's, it's just to think about it. The level of skill that. Ilya Nyshuler had to have, and more importantly, the level of love and commitment and daring and confidence that he had to have to make a movie like this. You have to respect it. You have to, even if it is a bit of an endurance test, it's at least a competently made endurance test. And I give him huge props for it. So I sit back at, I don't know that I can say I'm a fan of the movie. But I am definitely an appreciator 
So why haven't we seen more movies like this? Video games are more popular than they've ever been. People like watching other people play video games on the internet. Now that's a whole thing. I'm curious why you think this hasn't been attempted again or differently. Well, I think it's a couple things, actually. There's a big difference between what Ilya Nyshuler did with Hardcore Henry and what you're seeing from the found footage genre. Okay. And mm -hmm. I do think that ties in. I think that their found footage was already in burnout mode when he got to this sort of video game kind of idea, but they're related in their first personness, right? But there's a very big distinction. Blair Witch or something of its ilk isn't as much directed as it is incidental. Mm -hmm. It's more an experience. There's not a lot of choreography necessarily involved. There is some, something like paranormal activity or some of the more measured approach to Cloverfield, the filmmaking. Yeah. Cloverfield is a good example of much more like what you see in Hardcore Henry, mm. which is a much more first person style narrative where you're almost expected to be one of the characters in many respects mm -hmm. that's tiring it's very tiring for the eye with all of this action cloverfield was the exact same thing for me it's so tiring to watch the movie that even though you respect it even though you may enjoy pieces or or lots of it for that matter you're exhausted watching it found footage is the same kind of thing you get exhausted it's that first person bit you know what's so smart about paranormal activity is they slow it down mm -hmm. they hold mm -hmm. the shots and they yep. play with the stillness of it it's yep. so much more tolerable than having to find your way through all of this movement noise color you know it's just very challenging to do and it's really interesting because until you said it i guess i didn't think of hardcore henry as a found footage movie but it's a cousin. i hear what you're saying it makes a ton of sense that you're saying i i get that we're not supposed to think that this is footage we're watching it's the perspective no. of the main right. character right but you're absolutely so it's right it's cut from the same cloth i just didn't think of it until you brought it up and you're right in thinking that it's very similar to video games it, it is this game this really does feel at the end of the movie there is a fight scene on the rooftop of a skyscraper against something like 40 different super soldiers not so super soldiers because they're not as good as henry but he's got to battle his way through all these guys it's like a jackie chan fight sequence but from yep. first person which i mean talk about exhausting right mm. jesus christ just in describing it it's 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 <laughs> difficult to comprehend and then you've got the telekinetic bad boss at the end that psychokinetic whatever it is what's the term uh he can move objects so he's flinging you about left and right so he's oh, picking wow. you up and throwing you and stuff like that and i have to say you because it really is that's uh -huh. what they're shooting for here it's very video game i don't think it's the same as youtube because it's not a video game that you can play it's not something that you can do yourself and it doesn't have the commentary necessarily the interesting thing about hardcore henry is that he's mute so he's not commenting. He's not there. They're all talking at him. And periodically, there's some good jokes with like hand gestures and such huh. that are pretty good. But there's it's you're in this space observing constantly, endlessly, rapidly moving things that 
it seems impossible to take in. I really, I said it in our last episode, and I was not wrong. This is very much crank as seen from Jason Statham's perspective Mm -hmm. without Jason Statham talking. It is essentially that same exact thing. Crank isn't nearly as exhausting. It's exhausting. It's a very (laughs) action-packed movie. It really is. Because it, because he has to keep his adrenaline going the whole time, right? And they gave that that's a cool premise. It's a neat idea. Nothing like that is here. It's just relentless. The mm. pace is just always you're you're being stalked. There's quiet moments and then somebody gets their head blown off in a particularly gory fashion. And and you're <laughs> off. You're running. As if there's another sort of way to blow a head off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a, I don't just know. Just a neat and tidy head explosion. I, I I really don't think that in general body parts <laughs> explode with this much vivacity. How could it's we know? Like, how could we know? How would we know? I mean, my Sundays are not that exciting. So I will say thank you, Mike, for giving me. I think this was a bit of a gift personally. Yeah, I didn't know that I was giving you a bad movie necessarily. I thought I was giving you a curiosity. I had no idea I was giving you anything to do with psycho telekinetic warlording. That's that was news to me. It's a but good um, find. I think you did a hell of a job and I'm 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 pleased that you got something out of this more than just he was running. <laughs> <laughs> I think the best thing that you can say about this thing is if you want to say it's a video game movie or something like it, it's not Doom and it's not House of the Dead, but it's something that both of those movies probably wish they could have done. Five, four, three, two, one. Well, Mike, since you made me watch Hardcore Henry and decided not to do anything related to the movie because you had absolutely no idea what the movie was about. You decided <laughs> that tonight's episode needed to be about your birthday, which That's right. apparently your, your 678th birthday is yeah. around the corner, making me 697. I think if my math is right, this episode will be releasing on my 43rd birthday, 43rd birthday. And so I wanted to give myself Young a, a gift Mm. And I thought, uh, well, the gift I'm going to give myself is an out for this Hardcore Henry bottom five because I don't have one. So instead, we went happy birthday to me and I wanted to do our bottom five birthdays. (laughs) And so here we are. Since it's your birthday, I think that the thing to do is to be magnanimous and give you first dibs. What is your number five? I decided to bury my number five uh, at the back of the list because it seems like maybe it's the most obvious pick on my entire list. Oh. It's also the one that I'm absolutely certain is going to be somewhere on your list as well. Oh, no. <laughs> it has to be. I'm I'm certain of it. It has to be Little Damien's fifth oh. birthday in Richard Donner's 1976 film, The Omen. Richard Donner will always be best remembered 
for making Superman in 78. But a couple years before that, he would make you believe a nanny could fly <laughs> in, at Damien's fifth birthday party. That's Listen, so cold. even if there isn't a sacrificial hanging at your birthday party, you're still throwing a birthday party for the literal antichrist and <laughs> and that sir is just irresponsible i have i've been to some parties that ended quickly i probably also have ended some parties myself pretty quickly but that is next level also maybe don't adopt a baby that was born on june 6th at 6 a.m <laughs> and if you're gonna do that and i'm no parenting expert but if you're gonna do that I think there's one important question to ask. Just one, only one. The question you have to ask is, uh, hey, was this child's biological mother an actual literal jackal? And if the answer to that question is yes, you take a pass. But you definitely, definitely skip the fucking birthday party. So that's it for me. Number five, little Damien. Check the hairline, 666, my number five, also the omen. Okay, I knew it was a lock. It's number five because, for me, all of my other birthdays are bad birthdays that happen to ruin the characters' days or lives. Mm. Mm. But this one, it was all for you, Damien. And also, yeah. it's his fifth birthday, number five. So, Oh, I didn't look at that. You're, you're such a clever son of a bitch. I would have put the deed to my house on, on the line <laughs> for the fact that we were both going to have this one. Because sometimes when you're right, you're right. <laughs> All right. So so we just, I'm going to shoot it right back at you. What's your number four? At this point, I think our listeners know that my brain usually goes to horror movies when we're talking about bottom fives. Mm -hmm. And it's no different here because at my number four... I'm going with poor little Kathy Brenner's birthday party in Alfred oh, yeah. Hitchcock's The Birds. Oh, no. Oh, do, no. Oh, do you have this on your list as well? Let's just see if we can overlap our entire list. Okay, let's go for it. Well, you tell me then. Why did you pick this one? Yeah, man. Number three on my okay. list. So we're jumping ahead a little bit. Kathy's 11th birthday party. When the children get attacked by fucking seagulls while playing <laughs> pin the tail on the donkey. You know, yep. and with... With all the preceding, like, askew looks at Tippi Hedren's Melanie mm. Taylor and Rod Taylor's Mitch Brenner and the undercurrents this birthday party, they just seemed dark and unsettling. Mm -hmm. Everybody was just shooting eyes at each other. It just wasn't. And it was sparsely attended. There's something about adults wearing, like, suits, suits and ties to a kid's birthday party that is upsetting and weird to me. Yes. I get it was the 60s, but still, it's there's something just unsettling about the, the whole thing. The vibe was off. Yeah. And the only yeah. thing that could save it were seagulls attacking children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, there's that one part where there's just a kid pinned on her face on the yes. with the seagull just smashing into the back of her head. Yeah. But I guess the thing that always kind of made me laugh in this scene is what a bunch of dicks the seagulls are. Because yeah. <laughs> not only do they attack the kids, but they make it their business to pop a bunch of the party balloons in the process. <laughs> like, like, like what kind of asshole bird is like, you know what? I'm going to get the kid, but I'm going to take out all the balloons while I do it. Like if we're going to fuck up a birthday party, we're going to fuck up a birthday party. But if you Mark met a seagull, my words. if you met seagull, you met them yeah. all. They're yeah, all assholes. Right. Look at yeah, that. Throw right. a fry out on a beach and watch the shit show that transpires. You want to have a really great time. The whole point of having kids is to throw French fries near them at the beach and then watch the terror when the seagulls. Oh, yeah. Yep. If you're Child Protective Services and you're listening, this is something that I made up and something I definitely didn't do last summer. <laughs>
So that was your number three. My that was number, my number three. four. Yeah. What's your number four? My number four is The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh. So, look, many movies lay it on when it comes to villain origin stories. Mm. But damn, is Max Dillon's brutal. <laughs> it's his birthday. He's forced to work late at Oscorp by a boss who stole his ideas and claimed credit for himself. And then while he's on his extra shift, he falls into a vat of electric eels. <laughs> and he's turned into a maniacal electric being hellbent on destruction. And he never got to have the cake that he says is from Spidey that was designed to reference his comic book outfit. It was green uh -huh. with uh, it had little yellow bolts. I thought that was uh -huh. so cool. Is this the worst Spider-Man movie? This is the worst Spider-Man movie, isn't no. it? It's not no, like I don't, this one. It? I think this is the worst Spider-Man oh. movie. I got to say, I really liked Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I liked his sort of aloof, very hesitant, start, stop, stutter kind of guy. I, I love that take on Peter Parker. And I think that the interplay between Jamie Foxx's character and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man was really fun to watch. I think I like this one a little bit more than the first Amazing Spider-Man with Rise Air fans, the lizard character. Yeah, I think I like it more. Why was there just an uncovered vat of eels? Because I don't remember. That's they were doing. That's like a real. Of, that's a real OSHA situation. Why is there a radioactive spider? That well, I mean, that got out. I mean, they had a plan for that. Uh, but yeah, just, clearly. You shouldn't be able Come to on. just fall into a vat of eels. <laughs> Whatever you keep eels in should be smaller than people. That's That should be the rule. All right. So, Mike, I think we're at your number three now. We are, and we are headed back to the 1970s with my number three pick. I guess it was a rough decade for birthdays. <laughs> and in this film, Allison moves into a weird-ass apartment with neighbors like Burgess Meredith. Who throws an elaborate birthday party for his cat, Jezebel? Yes, of course, I am talking about the Sentinel. Open up, open up, surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Now, I want you to meet Jezebel's other guests. Everybody, listen, listen. That's right. I want you to meet Allison Parker. She's just moved into 2A. Time for the cake. Now, Good. Everybody, now tune up your voices. Black and white cat, black and white cake. Ready? Happy birthday, dear Jezebel. Happy birthday to you. This movie is a vibe. A whole thing. <laughs> Listen, I'm glad earlier in the in the episode you referenced Cody, the only cat I have ever liked and will ever like. Because this goddamn cat in, in a birthday hat and, and a bow tie is a whole thing. It might be the most memeable thing since Grumpy Cat. It's a birthday party for a cat. The other people at the party, including folks like Beverly D'Angelo and Sylvia Miles, they're all there. They're all wearing fancy clothes again. I don't know why that's a thing. Also, Did Beverly like D'Angelo wear her Christmas vacation open? Because <laughs> <laughs> if, if she did, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> you know I'm not a big fan of cats. Some yeah. people love them. That's fine. But attending a giant party where people sing happy birthday to the cat, <laughs> to the cat. is way over my personal threshold of feline fucks given. So 
you could stop right there and it would make my list, but it gets a lot worse. The movie gets insane. It's mm. kind of hard to explain how insane it is. The apartment is a gate to hell. There's lots of shit about the Catholic church and suicide. Most notably, we get a call back to the goddamn cat birthday party. And it turns out that none of the people at the party were real and mm. were in fact long dead murderers, mm. I guess. It's good times. Uh, talk about exhausting. This movie <laughs> is, is as far as horror classics go, this movie is pretty exhausting. And so absolutely the cat birthday party attended strictly by phantom murderers <laughs> belongs <laughs> on my list. It belongs on everybody's list. <laughs> Good stuff, man. That's a great pick. Wow. I don't think I can follow up a cat birthday attended by past and present murderers or whatever that was, but <laughs> phantom uh, murderers. I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give yeah. it a shot. I'm going to go with Frank and Hooker from 1990. <gasps> this is Frank Henlotter. Yes. New York director, oh. low budget, oh. absolute brilliant, brilliant comedy schlock classic. Mr. Shelley's birthday party when his daughter Elizabeth is decapitated <laughs> by a remote controlled lawnmower invented by Elizabeth's fiance, Jeffrey. Oh, will you accept my resignation right now? How did you forget? It's inexcusable. I thought for sure we were going to have pretty much a mirrored list. I love the Sentinel. It's a great pick. It really is. I wish it was on mine. I just ruined my own birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Look, nothing I can say about this birthday or Elizabeth's death can be better said than the film's newscast that recounts the horrific calamity. What began as a birthday barbecue ended in a bizarre tragedy in Hohokus, New Jersey today. It was this power mower that brought a quick end to the life of 21-year-old bride-to-be Elizabeth Shelley. Like wood through a mulcher, the girthful fiancé disappeared beneath the blades of the berserk mower that sent her personality raining down upon the horrified birthday revelers. In a blaze of blood, bones, and body parts, the vivacious young girl was instantly reduced to a tossed human salad, a salad that police are still trying to gather up, a salad that was once named Elizabeth. <laughs> it's so good fantastic it's so good look if you've never seen frank and hooker bump it up ahead of everything else on your list and treat yourself tonight patty mullen turns in what i believe to be one of the most terrifically funny performances by any actress ever period If we were still doing staff picks, this would be a staff pick. But since Mm. it's my birthday, this is what I want from our listeners. (laughs) I want anybody who has not watched Frankenhooker (laughs) to please, for my birthday, sit down and watch Frankenhooker. And then reach out to us on Twitter, on Instagram, email us at mike at filmjitsu.net or jay at filmjitsu.net and tell us, all about why Frankenhooker is so goddamn good. Jason, you have won my birthday and I still have two movies left. <laughs> What's your number two, man? My number two is Happy Death Day. Oh, of course. I mean, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, you a, have a, to. A yep. birthday where you are repeatedly murdered <laughs> and you will not stop being repeatedly murdered on your birthday until you solve your own birthday murder. That's a bad birthday. That's a bad one. 
I like this movie. Christopher Landon, this is a fun movie. And the sequel, Happy Death Day to You, Mm. is also kind of an inevitable good time as well. If you're going to be messing around with time movies, you kind of almost have to do a second one. But Mm. I think this movie is a lot of fun. I think the lead actress is a really good time. She has a, a really kind of excellent comedic timing where she's a little bit befuddled and aghast and beside herself that this whole thing is happening again and again and again. She's almost like pissed off that she has to do it. Like what the fuck? This is like, it's a woman asking herself what the fuck at her own birthday because Mm. she keeps getting murdered the whole time. It's fun. It's scary when it needs to be. It's a little kitschy. I think it's a great flick. Look, I know this isn't going to make any sense. Stop global warming. I feel like I'm losing my mind. You sneaky little biash. Happy birthday. I've already lived through this day. Somebody's gonna kill me tonight. So you can hear now. <gasps> My number one, and you are not going to agree because it involves a cat death. <laughs> mm, sounds so good already. Gonna, you're not going to No, care. Whoa, whoa, hold on. But, I know how cat people are. Look, I don't want cats to be dead. Let's, okay. <laughs> okay, all right, Let's, all right. I, I, they're not for me. They're not my cup of tea, but I don't wish death upon them. I well, just want them to leave me alone. I'll tell you, not many create the level of unsettling horror that this cat's death, the cat being mustache, from 2021's movie Smile. Mm. Now, I just want you to picture this. Imagine your aunt coming to your house for your birthday unexpectedly because she's always too busy to visit. And she has this big gift for you. And you're a little kid. You're so excited. Your aunt, oh my God, I'm so excited. And then you open it expecting that maybe mm. your mom told her to buy you your favorite thing, a train. And, and, and earlier in the movie, you saw her go to the store and buy the train. But then she's having all these visions and all these crazy things are happening to her. And she thinks she's slipping. You're a little kid and you couldn't possibly be ready to reveal your aunt's dead cat in the but box instead of the choo-choo up. that you wanted. If that wasn't enough, auntie goes berserk, oh. starts screaming. And then crashes through a glass coffee table like Matt Foley, gashing herself (laughs) in the process. This is like Aunt Bethany from Christmas Vacation, but with a (laughs) deeply darker bent. Maybe maybe I'm just too big a cat fan to let this one slide. But I have to say, it's at number one with a bullet for me. That's really good. Yeah, that was... Oh, I watched this movie in theater, so it's been a while. same. But... I remember that being the point in the movie that I thought, wow, like it decided to go all in on its premise. And you still didn't know at that point Mm -hmm. because you knew the cat was missing. You never would have expected it in the box that way. That scene came as such a surprise. Then she, she just goes berserk saying it was, you know, it was something else that did it. It was something. And then she smashes through the table, cuts her arm. She's bleeding. It is a horrific sequence. And then you're like, oh, that's a little kid's birthday. It's a kid's birthday party. I didn't even, you know what? I didn't even think about it. You're right. What a great pick. Well, for my number one, finally, not a (laughs) horror movie. 
Hmm. But this is probably the pick our listeners have been screaming at us about. Um, And that's 1984's 16 Candles, directed by John Hughes, when Samantha's entire family forgets her whole fucking birthday is even happening. This is the one, right? This is the classic. Elephant in the Room, a lot of John Hughes has not aged well, and this one is probably most guilty. The Mm. Long Duck Dong character in 16 Candles is hard to watch. Isn't there a gong that goes off every time they say his name? Is that that movie? His name is Long Duck Dong. Long Duck Dong. It's in Long Duck Dong. Who? Uh, the weird Chinese guy in Mike's room. It's bad. It's so bad, in fact, that the actor, of course, has since gone on to renounce the role and all has a lot of regret mm. and, and whatever. Mm. Yeah. And so I guess you kind of can't ignore that aspect of things. But mm. this is the one. The movie that gave us Molly Ringwald. She was the it girl of the 80s and it all started here. And I, despite some of its shortcomings in the way that it hasn't aged exactly uh, gracefully. Mm. I really like this movie. And I think especially because the movie had the good sense at the end to acknowledge and reconcile, you know, it wasn't just mean. It wasn't just funny. Like there is a heartfelt moment at the end where this mother who has forgotten her daughter's birthday takes a minute and apologize. Like it, it, it becomes more than just, parody i guess it's it's there's some real human moments in this thing which i think is what john hughes does so well and what makes a lot of his movies stand out but i think if we're going to talk about bottom five birthdays i am certainly glad that nobody especially not my entire family is just forgetting my birthday the way that i had to make sure that happened was by talking about it repeatedly on this podcast but that's it for me (laughs) i think what's interesting about 16 candles is it does two primary things it addresses a teenager's lack of confidence to be able to speak their heart to their families Mm -hmm. because they're afraid they'll be put down or whatever else but then this movie also speaks to the ultimate fear that someone felt at that age of being forgotten Mm -hmm. it's such a universal Mm -hmm. fear that i don't matter right and it really does a sensitive job of, of dealing with that. It's something that's so relatable that I think it's hard not to put on a list like this to not have it mentioned. I yeah. only didn't do it because I was busy trolling in, you know, the death of children, cats, fiancés, <laughs> decapitations, <laughs> and whatever else. I I left it off my list also because I felt as though it was something that you probably would jump at. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. But I think it really does speak to the kinds of fears that exist in the United States when you're an adolescent. Yeah. And I think what makes John Hughes movies what they are is that there is that real heart, that real human mm-hmm. thing at at the foundation of all yeah. of them. Yeah. The family didn't just forget her birthday for a laugh and that was the whole, no in the no, movie no, no the sister is getting married so the family yeah. is preoccupied yeah. with this other sibling and overlook her birthday and and you're right and so she experiences what like you say this 
fear of being forgotten or overlooked. It actually happens to her, but for reasons that are understandable and she's wrestling with that. And so like a lot of John Hughes movies, it has a real heart at the center of the comedy or the conflict or whatever that is. And so in the end it, it works despite maybe some of the things that we could all perhaps do without like long duck dong. But uh, so for me, it had to be, it had to be on this list and I was happy to put it at my number one. Cause I think it's sort of, for me, the go-to bad birthday. Mike, this year for your birthday, cake. And with it, <laughs> four candles. But you can only blow out two. Oh. That's right. It's time for pick two, kick two. There is no cake, I'm sorry to say, just like no. there was no spoon. Mike, what do you got for us this week? Well, I decided that for this week, I was going to tie our pick two, kick two. Not into Hardcore Henry, because again, I didn't know what that movie was about and I had no good <laughs> ideas. And we don't always tie our pick two, kick two no. into the main review anyway. But I was thinking a little bit about my number one bad birthday, which was 16 Candles. And mm. so I decided to give us this week our John Hughes pick Ooh. two, kick two. So right. I have four films for us. It oh. was hard for me to pick those because I felt like I knew... What mine might be, I felt I knew maybe what you would pick. And so I want to offer up the following four movies. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Don't do it. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, you son of a bitch. And Weird Science. Oh, you son of a bitch. Okay. Okay. That's a... This is... Shit. Yeah, uh, right? All right. This this is a good good selection. Mhm. Mm I think for me I can't possibly in under any circumstances ever in the history of anything remove weird science. Fast man. Let me tell you my story, man. Last year I was insane for this crazy little eighth grade bitch. Okay. Crazy, insane, insane, crazy. I was nuts for the woman, man. Now you gotta believe me. I'm saying, I'm telling the truth here. I'm speaking to you. I mean, I was nuts for the girl. And what did to me was these big titties she had for a 13 year old <laughs> girl, man. <laughs> she wouldn't have to worry about no titties for the rest of her life, boy. You know, she was set and she was looking good, son. That's the truth, baby. But I called her every night for like a month. I mean, I'm talking devotion, man. Every damn night? Every night, Mitch. I ain't playing with and you. On the telephone? What this boy talking about on the telephone, man? Explain it what to Christmas vacation. I can't possibly cut. Um it it's absolutely I think I'm I'm fairly certain it's my favorite Christmas movie. Mm. It is one of probably my favorite movies, Beverly D'Angelo's Cleavage, which I spoke about earlier. I've quoted it now three times in this episode. It's come up three <laughs> times in one episode of the show. It's as if I've only seen 10 movies and nine of them are Christmas Vacation. I have to say, 
as much as I love the other two, I couldn't possibly cut these two. So yeah, that those are my two. What are yours? Well, first off, I was curious where you're not a big breakfast club guy, are you? Okay. No, I'm not. That's I never why, was. Sure. And I left it off because of that, but I think I would have struggled more myself if I had included it, because I am mm. a bigger fan of that movie than you are. Uh, Which is funny, because you're younger than I am. It's more about my generation. Uh-huh. You're, you're about, what, seven years, I think, younger than me. So, uh, I mean, yeah. you're, you're 20, 25 years older than I am, I think. <laughs> for for me, uh, I don't have that love for weird science that you do. It oh. wasn't a movie that I grew up. I didn't see weird science until really later in life. I don't know oh, how man. I missed it as a teen. You're a loss. I know, I know, I know how much you love it. So for me, I'm going to be able to let weird science go. Oh my God. God, but how are we even friends? Well, because like you, Christmas vacation is a lock for me. All right. Christmas vacation is one of my, just like you holiday movies be damned. It's one of my maybe top five favorite comedies. It's something that delivers Every time I watch it, no matter how many times I see it, there's always a little nugget or something, a little throwaway that I didn't notice before. I think it was probably 15 years into loving this movie before I realized that Cousin Eddie is wearing a dickie dickie. in one of those scenes that you can see through (laughs) his white sweater. It's so funny. And so for me, it's, it's Christmas vacation. And I think... Even if I had gone with just vacation, the first vacation, yeah, I still probably would have picked that one. So yeah, oh, so yeah. Christmas vacation is there for me, which leaves me Ferris and planes, trains, and automobiles. Oof. Tough choice. It's really a tough choice. It's tough, you know, because Ferris Bueller is a gorgeous film mm-hmm. in many respects. The cinematography by Tak Fujimoto in that film is to die for. It's mm-hmm. luscious. It's really, really extraordinary. It's beautifully directed. It's super funny. Great winning performance, even though he is kind of an asshole. Um, Ferris is an icon. Yeah. I'm, it made a career. It made a career. Still. But, still. But I, you Planes, Trains, and Automobiles may well be one of the greatest comedies of all time. It's right up there with, for me, Trading Places or some of those uh-huh. Uh-huh. really, really amazing Landis comedies back in the day. That's how good it is. That's how it's funny it is. Yeah. The idea that I might cut a movie that has John Candy in it is almost unthinkable. Hmm. Mm. And yet. No, really? I think I'm going with Ferris Bueller. Never mind John Candy. I, I mean, you're I talking about Steve Martin. Yeah. You know, I'm not a, I'm not the biggest Steve Martin guy. I mean, guy. you're basically, it, let's just boil it down in today's headline style. You're choosing Jeffrey Jones' child molester <laughs> over <laughs> Steve Martin. Think about what you're doing before you do it. My God, educate yourself. My oh, God. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. Well, um, here's my here's my, my weasel way out of this, right? Okay, Is let's that hear it. I chose Christmas Vacation. And in that, in the... In the National Lampoon Vacation Extended Universe, the Griswold family went to Wally World in the first movie where they met John Candy as the security guard of the park. So by keeping Christmas Vacation, I am technically keeping Mm -hmm. John Candy's comedic influence alive in that world. (laughs) And so I'm going to keep Ferris Bueller. And And that means... 
Neither nope. one of us. Planes, trains, and automobiles. One of the the funniest movies funniest of all time movies ever. Yeah, landed yeah. on neither one of our lists. Uncle Buck, no yeah. Uncle Buck. That's John Hughes. You didn't put him on there. I know, I know. There was a lot to choose from. The Great Outdoors. That's not, I, is that John Hughes? That's not John Hughes, though, is it? Uh, I didn't think so. Well, let's is find it really? out. I don't think so. I thought he wrote it. Maybe it feels he too it. broad. Feels too meh. Feels a little. Man, it feels like summer rental, like a Carl Reiner kind of shit. Kind no, he wrote garbage it. He wrote it. John, John Hughes, Hughes did. Yeah, he wrote. He wrote the Great Outdoors. Yeah. He wrote it on the can. It was. <laughs> he wrote it while he was. <laughs> it was directed by Howard Deutsch. Yeah, yeah. But, he did a lot in the eighties yeah, and nineties. Yeah. yeah, but written written by ton. John Hughes. We should do an exploration in the career of Howard Deutsch. Uh, a, a deep dive. A, a deep dive. Deep to dive. Deutsch. Deep deep uh, douche dive. <laughs> Sounds so dirty. So dirty. I, I think we did a good job of getting there. I'm a little ashamed that we didn't include planes, trains. But as always, the thing I think I love the most about this segment is that I want to hear from our listeners about what oh, yeah. your Let's hear what your two picks would be and why. So please send why it our are way. We wrong? Yeah, why tell us why we're wrong. Yeah. You can write to me at jay at filmjitsu.net or write to Mike at Mike at filmjitsu.net. Tell him why he's wrong or I'm wrong. We're completely okay with it and definitely won't fill your ass with buckshot. (laughs) So, Mike, as our next episode is pretty much slated to land more or less on what appears to be St. Patrick's Day, I decided in my infinite wisdom that it would be a perfect idea to give you leprechaun. No, no, no. I wouldn't <laughs> do that. We are not no. doing a leprechaun Instead, movie. I wanted to give you a title that evokes the feeling that one gets when out, I don't know, maybe around 3 p.m. on St. Patrick's Day when you're out at a bar and you look about the place. I mean, it's 3 p.m. Your movie for next episode is The Disappointments Room. That's right. Oh, baby. wow. You are going to cry and not because of anything that happens in the film that is allegedly <laughs> sorrowful. It seems like putting the word disappointment in your title is a really bad idea. You think? All the jokes write themselves about this movie and all of them have the same punchline. I, I am committing myself now to not making any disappointment puns in my main review. I bet all those hacky film reviewers on the internet had a field day with this. Yes. I vow not to do that. (laughs) Right. You're the disappointments room now, bitch. (laughs) Oh no. Absolutely. And for our bottom five, of course, I'm going full on Merrigan with this one. Bottom five. rooms (laughs) rooms <laughs> there you go buddy oh all right i love it okay ladies and gentlemen that was our episode of film jitsu thank you very much for listening continue to listen to us over and over for all of your movie needs <laughs> <laughs> we were your hosts i am jay and i am mike we'll see you next time Yeah.
Jednom mislim na te, hoću znat sve kate Vježbat ću sate i sate Karate, karate, jedno ću dok zadnji mi kjaj Zastane i zađe my office was full of ants today in a way that started to creep me out a little bit. <laughs> it was a little, little creep show. Yeah. You thought you were E.G. Miller there for a bit? Yeah, I was I was mm. like, hmm. I, one would skitter across the top of my monitor, and then I would. I felt like I had them on me. It was bad day in the office, oh, honestly, ooh. yeah. Mm. And they were the big, fat ones. It wasn't like just those little sons of bitches. It was like those the big ones. Those carpenter ants. Yeah, the ones that look like they have license plates on the back. John Carpenter ants. Yeah. <laughs> Well, at least now I'll have an affection for them. When I see them yes. again tomorrow, I'll be like, oh, you're just John Carpenter. They're all in- incredibly good synthesizer players. 